Did you find uh, Bridesmaid funny? Yeah, Bridesmaid is is hilarious. Okay. I don't think that's that's not a con- controversial opinion. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon, and I finally watched Away We Go. So Away We Go is one of my favorite comedies. Um it, I think people have a tendency to kind of like to have things that they feel are like just theirs. And so this movie, I remember when it was coming out, I really wanted to see it. It is directed by Sam Mendes, and this is probably his least commercially successful movie. Um, and it never came anywhere near where I live. And I was actually on a trip with some friends to Baltimore. And the night we got there, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. And we immediately went to this bar. Mm-hmm. And it was just really sad. We were all probably, you know, in our early 20s. And everyone else there was like late 50s and above mm-hmm. at three o'clock on a Thursday. Maybe it was a Friday. Um, and so I started like looking through the paper as my friends were ordering drinks. And I just saw Away We Go was playing at a theater in Baltimore. And I just told them, I was like, all right, man, I'm heading out. And I just walked across the city of Baltimore to like this really cool theater. It was like the first theater I ever went to that had like a bar and it had reclining seats. And so like that just all played into the experience of this. And as I walked to the theater, I was walking through these back alleys and stuff. And I was like, you know, when it gets dark, I can't walk back this way. <laughs> like this does not look safe. Okay, so you ditched your friend. You didn't invite them to go see the movie with you? No, I mean, I told them about it. I just knew they didn't want to go. They wanted to get drunk. Um, And one of them was like really mad with me. And I was just like, I don't don't care. I don't want to sit here with all these geriatrics and get drunk, you know, at three o'clock in the afternoon. And so, you know, all that just played into how much I love this movie. It was a really cool experience. I was the only person in the theater. Having said all of that and going on way too long about it, Alon... Uh, I've wanted you to see this for a while. So what yeah. do you think uh, on Away We Go? Okay, well, David, it's no secret. I don't, I don't really keep this close to my chest, but I am not the biggest fan of Maya Rudolph. You know this. Everyone who's pretty close to me knows this. And um, I just, I don't think she's that funny. At least the things that I've seen her in, I don't think she's that funny. And when I was talking to the talking to you about this, one thing that we kind of like figured out is that honestly, the only thing I've really seen her the most in is SNL. And to which you commented, you know, I, I described her comedy as cringy. And then you said, well, SNL as a whole is cringy. And yeah, you know, I think you're right. I think the material that SNL probably gives her is cringy in a way that for me i associate with her and her comedy being being that way but seeing her in this i I mean i really didn't like my rudolph and seeing her in this made me kind of enjoy my rudolph and i didn't have the cool experience of you know being in a new city and running away from my sad geriatric friends but you know i watched this from the comfort of my house on my phone uh in my bed but i really like this movie this movie i you know my taylor didn't really want to watch it with me but i found myself like every 15 minutes like pausing it taking my headphones out putting one headphone into her ear and being like okay 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 just watch this scene Because I feel like the thing that I took away the most from this movie is how, like, fucking relatable it is. Right. And not just, like, relatable, like, oh, I relate to John or I relate to Maya's characters, which I do, and I did. But it, it was more like the side characters that I'm like, I have people in my life that are those people. Or I know people in my life that are those people. And I'm like, I wish I could like outwardly 
externalize dealing with them the way these characters do. Um, so I, yeah, it's, it's extremely relatable. And through that relatability, I found, I found it extremely funny. So the answer to your question is yes, I did like the movie a lot. Oh, good. Well, thanks for that. No. Um, the, the thing that, that always keeps me coming back to this movie is just how hilarious it is. And it's the side characters that I think are the most hilarious. Oh, um, definitely. A hundred percent. Mostly like the first half to two thirds, really. The ending is more, you know, the last couple people they visit and, you know, situations they deal with are kind of more the, um, like the sentimental kind of, you know, clutch you by the heartstrings type, you know, Mm -hmm. situations Mm -hmm. but the beginning and i mean uh, i think specifically just starting out with um the the opening scene always cracks me up with him like under the covers and him explaining to her that she like you taste different she's like what are you what are you trying to say to me um and then him just going over well from what i've learned about flavoring Yeah, and I love how that is like we meet our characters that way, but it's a it's just a very interesting way to kind of jump into the story like okay, she's pregnant. And that's how they get the information across. And they could have just like done it without that scene, right? But it you get that character build of like what he's about, what she's about, and now you know they have a baby on the way. Right, too. And I mean it it's one it's it's pretty funny it also it kind of and i never really thought about it this way before but it really sets up krasinski's character because like she like doesn't want him to be doing what he's doing but he's like he's always trying to do what's like best for her like trying to please her trying to be the best now be the best father he can be moving forward um but i also think that scene does a great job of kind of setting the expectations of how kind of crazy the situations will be from then on what like level the comedy is going to go to um and that sort of then takes you to when they meet uh his parents or when the audience meets his parents and i remember going into this for the rewatch thinking like how jeff daniels really like just kind of steals this scene yeah but uh catherine o'hara who most people will now know from Shit's Creek, but also the mother from Home Alone. Um, when she's describing like giving birth to his brother and she's like, you know, it's August. I'm overheated. The firemen come in. My blouse is exposed. And then Jeff Daniels is like, do they have their hoses, Gloria? Like that, th- those two going back and forth are probably one of the funniest, but maybe second funniest. Cause the, I think the, the scene, I lo- the, the side characters I love the most are Maggie Gyllenhaal and her, her husband in the movie. But that the scene with his parents are one, it's like so hilarious, but two also just kind of so shocking, like that these parents would be like this. Not to me. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I I was so excited to see Catherine O'Hara and Jeff Daniels uh, in, in this movie and I was like, oh, cool. This is like a cool scene. This is interesting characters. This is interesting dialogue. I'm totally into this. And it does. I mean, that, that whole interaction really like captures your attention. Um, and I was, I was just so sad to, to like how short-lived their parts are in the film. I'm like, I wouldn't mind the whole movie just being about the four of them. Um, but because the relationship between um, John Krasinski's character, his parents and him are so interesting. Um, And then, yeah, so the situation is just hilarious, right? It was just like, hey, you know, we're having a baby. It's like, oh, congratulations about the baby. I hope we'll be there. What do you mean? I hope we'll be there. And so they're moving to Antwerp, City of Lights. Right. And, uh, and I mean, it's like, kind of like, like I get it on one hand, like, you know, they have to live their lives. Kudos for them. But then on the other hand, it's like, you're, you're, and I guess it's not, well, actually, I don't know. 
Oh man, I don't remember. But does his brother have a child? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, we meet him at the very end. Right. So it's not like their first grandchild. But I mean, come on. Like you're you're two years, right? You're you're missing the first two years of your new grandbaby's like life. Like selfish. Uh, and they just don't see it that way. And they do a really convincing job of like not seeing it that way. Cause it's like convinced me by the end of that scene. I was like, no, they're fine. And then I had to be like, well, wait, no, that's totally an asshole move. Right. Cause they've, she's six months along. They've been planning this for, they had to have been putting this plan into motion for months. Right. Like they knew about her pregnancy right. way before they got this all together. And I do love like, as they're trying to explain this to their son and his wife that they're not going to be there. It's like, they just keep making it worse. He's, you know, John Krasinski's like, you're going to be 3000 miles away. And he's like, Oh, I think it's way farther than that. (laughs) And then they're like, well, hold on. The best part is we're going to let you guys live here rent free while we're in Belgium because we can't find a renter. And then you have to hear Catherine O'Hara on the phone with like their renter agent and her getting all excited. And then Jeff Daniels can't hide his excitement at the fact that they're going to have a renter for the entire time they're gone. Like, it's just, it's like this selfish beat after selfish beat, but it's just like, they're so unaware because they're so like, they're Into so themselves. Just, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I, I, I feel like, you know, Sam, Sam Mendez might fall into this category of like, bomb back where very realistic uh kind of selfish parents are are written but i mean that's just a question of like do they get the inspiration from having like asshole parents of their own like is that what makes a great director well i think also what's playing into that is the fact that it's jeff daniels again you know, from Squid and the Whale to this. Yeah, but he plays such a different kind of asshole, which is why I really loved him in that role, because he's, like, he's tolerable in this. Like, as a person, he's entertaining. He's kind of even, like, likable. But everything that comes out of his mouth is just so selfish. Well, he's also... I think he's more likable, one, just because he's an idiot. Um, And he's also... He's pompous, but he's, like, in, like, just such a, like it's something you get to laugh at way. Yeah. Like the prayer he gives like, Oh, earth giver. Thank you for this bounty. And then the, uh, when he's just like, keeps staring at his own statue in the hopes that they'll ask him about it. He's like, I really think it's important to uh, care for our indigent, indigent, just like you can't, you know, just can't think of the word. Cause he's trying to be so pompous, but he's just such a moron. I think that's why he's more likable. Yeah. But uh, the characters are written really, really well. But we don't, like you said, they they do get a renter. So we don't stay there long and they leave. And I love the realization that when they go back to their house or apartment or whatever, they're like, yo, we only came here because our... And that's a shitty thing too, because it's like one shitty thing on top of another. Then you realize the only reason they moved to this cold ass place where they are, where are they? I have no idea. I don't think we do know. Yeah. It's is this, like is it Wisconsin or Milwaukee? They're in a fucking cold ass place. Milwaukee Milwaukee is in Wisconsin. I know. Okay. Well, you. yes, you're welcome. Um anyway, then you find out that the only reason that they're in this like miserable cold hell is because they're, you know, he wanted to move closer to his parents. Now the fact that his parents are gone, they have no reason to stay. And the realization of like, oh, let's go to somewhere warm. And they go to Phoenix. And then next thing you know, we're in Phoenix, you know? I I do like right before that though, when Maya Rudolph is explaining, she's like, I've just never seen something so selfish. And John Krasinski's like, well, it's not like your parents are around to help. She's like, they're dead, Bert. (laughs) And he just gives her this like, so what look? Like, oh yeah, that's oh, that's right, that's right. Um, yeah, I, I I like that this whole opening is kind of just like the inciting incident for the rest of the movie. It just sets up like, all right, now we're just doing this like bouncing around the country thing, 
and it's almost just like it's almost just like a combination of short stories but they're all kind of interconnected by this where do we want to live and like how, how do we want to make our life you know and i think it's also it's it's kind of relatable too because it's like i think if you if you were in a similar situation where you didn't have the ties of family like her parents are gone and, and his parents are just like assholes that are you know taking off it's like well you can now just decide to go anywhere and i think that's kind of cool too right it's like it's this this like idea of like oh man i wish i almost like had the ability to do that like and some people just decide to do it um but you're right then we go to to phoenix to meet um Allison Janney and Jim Gaffigan, which is, I, I think they're, they're in the running for like the worst people they could live with. No, I, it, it's quite amazing how just horrible, just horrible people they are. Um, and then somehow, not that the, the, the other people that they end up being with throughout the movie are worse. Because I don't think you ever get worse. And it's kind of interesting how they didn't choose to make them, like, the worst. Or, I'm sorry, let me say that again. It's interesting how they didn't make them choose these people to be, like, one of the last people. Like, a buildup of how bad the people can be. Because these are literally the worst people. Um, And I and and in saying that, I do love how, because of the different situations that they end up in throughout the movie, people are annoying or bad or just you know, it they're in different ways, like in very very different ways throughout the movie. Yet they're still like, um, Im- Im- impossible to deal with. Right. And I think Allison Janney, and I'm not saying this as like a negative to her performance, but her, her character is so annoying and that's what it's meant to be. So like, good job, but it's so annoying that it's like, I immediately would have to cut that out as a possibility. Like there's, I can't be near these people for fear that I would have to hang out with them. Yeah. I mean, it was, whose idea was it? It was, um, Verona. It was, yeah. Verona, my Rudolph's character's idea to go there first and even Bert it was like nah fam like no but I I love the running joke I guess it's kind of a running joke how like how much she talks shit about her kids and she's like oh they 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 don't hear me and then my every time Maya Rudolph like turns to them they're both like they're staring at them like listening in like, Especially at, when they're eating dinner and she's like, I almost left Lola a dozen times. The kids don't know that. And they're both just like looking over at her, like listening to her. Yeah. Yeah. And then how she like goes in on, on calling her uh, daughter a, a lesbian. And uh, it, it's, it's uh, like the perfect annoying Midwestern American family, right? Did you notice the very end of the scene with them that the daughter is like talking to two old guys in a truck like for the entire like goodbye? Yeah. I think it's like a really like weird but I guess nice touch to the scene but you're just like what is what they, is this? They leave her, right? They just get in the car and and she they don't even get her. I, yeah, I I, th- I don't know if you're supposed to know exactly what happens, but I just thought it was like it's pretty interesting. I I think Jim Gaffigan is obviously like very funny always. And so I think he's funny in this too, with just his like very, I don't know. It's just the way he kind of drones on and this, the way he looks at Alice and Janie is like, I have to be married to this. And this also starts the running joke of like, uh, John Krasinski's only concern in life, it seems, is that Maya Rudolph's boobs were going to go back to normal. Right. Like I, I love that running joke throughout. And then I also love the running joke of his like, his business voice when he talks yes. to these people. You know, it's funny because in one of the most, like after they move on from, from this annoying family, one of the most probably sweetest, toler- tolerable, there we go, tolerable people that they are with is Verona's sister. 
Right. Did you know who that actress is? Do you recognize her? No. Uh, she is the wife in uh, It Comes at Night. She is. Which I also brought this up in the It Comes at Night episode we did that she was in this movie. I, I It's funny to me how they were like, uh, and you don't quite get it too, because it's not like she has really big boobs. But then Verona is like, stop, don't, you know, like, I know every time we're around my sister, you stare at her boobs, but don't stare at her boobs. And he's like, I'm not going to stare at her boobs. Don't I was better. Me. I was better last time. I was better last time. No, there's no way I'm going to stare at her boobs. And it's like, as soon as they meet, you just see his eyes just staring down on her blouse. Well, my Rudolph's like, well, they've gotten bigger now. And he's like, oh God, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that is like the, the, probably the sweetest part of the movie. One of the famous, my favorite jokes from that is the little kid who's like annoying ass mom is like, tell them what you know about babies. And he's like, babies like to breathe. They're pretty sneaky. I tried to stop a baby from breathing, but it tricked me. I'll try again next time. And the mom's just like horrified and like (laughs) everyone's horrified and right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, this is a whole, you know, on one hand, I was going to say, this is like an allegory for like, hippies in a way did you feel that throughout the movie like everyone was like in a in a kind of a a new age way of raising your kids and they they are trying to figure out like they have a kid on the way so they're trying to figure out how to be the best parents but then they meet all these other parents who are just like this is how you raise your kid now this new way is how you raise your kid now this old way is how you raise your kid and this is yeah you know and they're just trying to figure out like what's the best way and obviously like they kind of like just figure out like no one has a clue how to do it. Right. But there's also, you know, there's like, they run into like good people and bad people. Um, Lowell and Lily, the people, they, the friends from Phoenix are obviously like just not good people. They're bad people. I wouldn't say they're bad people. They're annoying people. Um, Ellen played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. She's a bad person. Um, but her sister, I think, is a great person. I think the couple that we're going to meet in Montreal are great people. Um, and it is just like this, it's the juxtaposition between those two types of people they run into, which I think is really exemplified by how they talk about Maya Rudolph's belly, which is also like one of the running gags. And this is like the bad people in the movie always say like she looks huge mm-hmm. and that she's about to burst. And then like her sister and the people from Montreal are like, oh, you look so beautiful. I can't believe you're showing already. Oh, you look so great. You know, it's yeah. like, it's this like very simple thing that people go through in life where it's like you knowing how to interact with a woman who's kind of going through one of like the more serious parts of her life of, of having a child and being pregnant and like knowing how to appropriately react to that and not like be an asshole. Well, it's really like, it's really great too, right? Because there's all these comparisons on, on how parents interact with their children. You know, the most obvious one is, is every time they meet a couple, it's a different kind of like interaction to where they have their kids. Like Lowell and Lily raise their kids and treat their kids much differently than like Maggie Gyllenhaal um, and uh, her husband. And that's a lot different on how, you know, Melanie Linsky's character and Chris Messina's character treats their, like, what is it, foster family? Foster kids, right? Right. And you also, you looked up the actor's name, too. Like, not bad. Thanks. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's so, but then you have, like, the the little nuance, it's not so little, but the nuance of how, each of our main characters are raised. You get to meet um, Bert's parents in the beginning, like we talked about. And then the fact that Verona's parents have passed away, you still get like the sense of who they are and how they were raised as kids by, you know, getting to know her as a character, but also getting to know her sister as a character. Right. Um, one thing before we leave the sister, I love how, she has all this like doubt about this like new boyfriend. Right. And so uh, Verona was like, Bert, you have to talk him up even though he's boring as shit. And so he's just saying all this, like, you know, she's like, yeah, but you know, he, he's, uh, he's not, he's not really, uh, 
what is he, something like eloquent or he's not really like you know he, he asked me if i like music like that's such a that's a such a broad question. thing isn't it and then he's like oh no actually that's like really like think about it right that's like really deep and, and thought out because it's like probing he, you know he doesn't assume the obvious you know yeah, he's a lawyer it, it's so funny it's no he's a he's a tax attorney right I love that he's, she's like, the other day he took me to Long John Silver and Bert just turns the Broner. You said it was a steakhouse. <laughs> he's like, well, how do I work with this? You know, um, honestly, though, all tax attorneys that I ever know are just boring as shit. So I agree. Bad people. Um, I, I do like the way we leave the sister in that they try and get on a plane, but just like they all the different airline like attendants like look at Verona's belly and are just like, hmm. I don't know. You turn to the side. It's it's amazing to me how I know this is a movie and for just, you know, to I guess get them on the train and just make that make it harder for them. But like what fucking assholes, right? Like first of all, why would she lie? Why would she want to like obviously like put her baby in in danger? And then secondly, if you assume she's not lying and you're going to force her off the plane anyways, I mean, wouldn't you just be like Oh great! It's what three, four hours in a plane is dangerous for a baby, but you know, twelve and a half hours on a tr- or on a freaking train is not going to be like dangerous. I don't know. It's just really that pissed me off. I hated those people. Well, I think it's because they don't want to deliver a baby on a plane, and a train can more easily uh, stop. But I, I do love. I think my funny, the funniest John Krasinski part is when he's trying to console her on the train. And he's like, I'll always love you, even if you gain weight after the baby. Even if you gain so much weight, I can't find your vagina. And she starts screaming and he's like, write that in stone. Even if you gain so much weight, I can't find your vagina. Like that's probably like- always the, love the, you. That's the, the, one of the funniest parts to me. And then after that, you, you, know, you get Myra Rudolph saying that she wants- them to argue more because it'll be good for the baby and uh i showed this movie to my wife years ago and we still every once in a while will yell cunt sucker at each other just randomly to, to to mess with the other person um so that's like always a takeaway i'll have from this movie that's nice that's good um yeah that's one of the scenes where he consoles her on the train that i had to show to taylor because uh <laughs> i've been known to to try to compliment but then it goes very, very wrong. But I, I like John Krasinski's acting in this because he does, he does everything like an idiot, but like an idiot that's actually smart and that he knows he's being an idiot. Um, right. He, he's being an idiot to like make her feel better, like to make her laugh. And then also probably just to make himself laugh because he thinks it's funny. Um, and it's enjoyable for us. So. Well, because he, uh, his character... And I don't think about this as John Krasinski's acting like range. I, 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 I really liked him in Jack Ryan. And I think he went, you know, above and beyond a role like Jim Halpert for that. But this very much reminded me of Jim from The Office. Yeah, but I think that's, I think that's something that just is, is the way comedies work, right? You're not, unless you're doing this kind of like over the top character, like you're Dana Carvey, or if you're doing steve carell and like dinner for schmucks if you're not putting on this like weird goofy persona you're normally just yourself which is why you usually have a vince vaughn problem but it's okay, like it's fine that's why i have a vince vaughn problem but honestly that's why i have a my, had a maya rudolph problem is because i feel like she was all of these really annoying cringy characters in snl but then even yes this is a comedy but she plays such a toned down role and between the two and comparing her to all the side characters, she's probably the most grounded in in this film. And if that's really like her personality and her persona that's like peeking through this, then she's actually quite lovely and quite tolerable. Well, and I think this character, not the characters aren't similar, but in Bridesmaid too, she's more of the straight man character like the jokes are kind of surrounding her. And she also has like a lot of like funny moments, obviously, but it's like people play off of her more. 
and so I think that's why she's probably more tolerable because this is more of just a, she's more of a normal person. Like she's not, I, I imagine if, if you had switched and had Maggie Gyllenhaal as Verona and she and Maya Rudolph played the Ellen character, like your opinion of Maya Rudolph might not have changed. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but then my opinion of Maggie Gyllenhaal didn't change into me thinking, oh my God, I hate Maggie Gyllenhaal now just because of this this character she played compared to like all the other characters she's played over her, her life. Um, you know, and it's funny too, cause I really need to give bridesmaids another chance. Cause I saw it in theaters when it came out like 10 years ago and well, how old was I? I was like 18. Yeah. I didn't know shit. So I, I, I should, cause I don't remember actually liking bridesmaid, but I, I bet you if I watch it again, I'll actually find it funny. Did you find yeah. bridesmaid funny? Yeah, Bridesmaids is, is hilarious. Okay. I don't think that's that's not a contra- controversial opinion. No, it's um, I mean I didn't I don't I don't know. I you need to fix it. Okay. So I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is her and her husband, I think those scenes kind of rival the beginning with Jeff Daniels and Catherine O'Hare is sort of my favorite part of this movie. Um she's just such an unlikable person. Right. Um, she's so opinionated. I love when she's like, oh, well, you're having a boy. And she's like, well, no, it's a girl. Who told you that? The, the doctor. She's like, oh, well, we'll see. Like she knows more than the ultrasound. Um, and then, you, you know, you walk in on her on breastfeeding, like both of her children, one of them who's like a five-year-old who can talk. Uh, and so like meeting them right away or meeting her right away, you get an immediate opinion of like, who this person is and it's like we all probably know someone that's like this yeah i mean actually you know what i just really liked her character i never me personally i don't actually know someone quite like this you know people like this not exactly but some of those people like this that are like into things that are different than other people and have all these ideas about the way things are and the way the world should work that are not the norm and like kind of judge people as like, well, you don't really know what you're doing and how could the way she talks about like at the end, how can, how can these guys know anything about anything? Like, you know, Verona's parents died and they're just, they're, they're just these poor people without money. Um, I don't know. I think in the beginning you could look at Maggie Gyllenhaal's character and be like, all right, she's just a little off. But like towards the end, you really get a like, all right, this, she's an asshole. Well, a couple things do it for me. And I just, a couple things I want to say about, about the scenes that we stay with her in. First of all, her name is Ellen. And I love mm-hmm. the reveal on her, her, she's like this professor at this university. God knows how, but um, there's like initials on a door, L-N, uh, Fisher or whatever her last name is. And um, uh, Verona is so confused. She looks at Bert. She's like, Ellen. Honey, you said her name was Ellen. <gasps> yeah, the realization that that's how she spell her freaking name and it's not E-L-L-E-N or some variation of that. It's just the letter L and the letter N. And right. then, and then my favorite joke, because this is like all encompassing of, of the scene when they go home. By the way, I don't find her that intolerable when they're on the university uh, property, but when they right. go home and, and she joins um, her husband, who I think is played by Josh Hamilton, it is. Yep. Definitely look that up. Um, I don't know Josh Hamilton's IMDb by trade. So yeah, of course I looked it up. Um, He's best known for kicking and screaming came out in 95 Bombax first movie. Well, mostly, oh. I mean, he's been recently in eighth grade. No, but um, <laughs> the, the, when she joins him and they're like both talking, then I'm like, this is intolerable. Like I would have, I would enter the room, see the big bed, and she's like, well, yeah, I have sex with my husband in the same room as my children. I'd be like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. Goodbye. Also, I'm calling child services. Do you hi- Are you planning on hiding your lovemaking from your children? I, I, do, I will say I was very jealous of the big bed. Not that I would let my kids in it, but just I would want a, beg- a bed that big. That's that like bed the was the room. entire room. <laughs> I know. That's what I want. That's the dream. <laughs> Um, okay, so the big running joke through the whole scene that I really love is they purchase. Okay, 
So when you first kind of like meet Ellen, Maggie Gyllenhaal, they walk into the college campus, they're looking for her, you know, and they find a woman uh, pushing her baby in a stroller and they are like, hey, you know where Ellen Fisher Bubba is? She's like, oh, the woman without the stroller? And it's kind of confusing because it's like, why would you describe someone that way? So then it's like, wow, she doesn't have a stroller, but she makes tenure. Like, wow, she makes a lot of money here. And uh, it's like, they go out, buy her a stroller, and then they just like an off-the-cuff comment like, oh, yeah, that was a pretty expensive gift. And then she has this thing about strollers, and you're like, oh, shit, is it like a traumatic experience that she <laughs> had when she was younger? And then she goes, no, strollers. Why would you ever want to put your baby in that and just constantly be pushing them away? And you're like, oh, God, you know? Which logically, you're not pushing them away. You're pushing them with you. You're traveling with them, but whatever. Um, yeah, I agree. And then him, John Krasinski, sort of getting fed up and bringing the stroller in and asking their son named Wolfie if he wants to go on a ride. And then running around. And then as he's leaving, like, you won't have that much fun until you discover oral pleasure. I, I think... Ellen is not as infuriating as her husband, who first of all is like, oh, we practice continuum. And they're like, what's that? And he's like, continuum. And they're like, well, you can't just repeat it. And he's like, like, like he just thinks everyone has to know these weird fucking things that they're And then into. he's like frustrated that you, he has to like sit there and explain it to you. And then he explains, it's basically just like no strollers and we all sleep in the same bed. Uh, I also love when John Krasinski's like, oh, yeah, we haven't met before. And he's like, Burning Man 97. And Maya Rudolph looks at him, and, he, and John Krasinski's just like, yeah, yeah, that happened. <laughs> Maya Rudolph's like, okay, wow. Uh, and I love how these characters are written, like, you know, Lily and Lowell in the beginning, and, and, and uh, these characters, Ellen and Josh Hamilton here, and how uh, just when you think they're at their, like, peak worst, they say something that just like puts it over the edge, um, which makes them move again. So, you know, the plot has to continue. And I believe at this point they go to Mon Montreal, right? Right. She, she sells him on like, they dip their French fries in gravy. And he's just like, all right, I'm in. Uh, this, like this movie made me want to move to Montreal. Like it just looks so cool. Well, what's um, funny is that they go to all these places in the US and then finally Canada and they're like, wow we can actually be here. Like we can actually tolerate here. Right. Yeah. And then like you get to meet all these like cool kids and they're like just hanging out over each other. Like I think the Montreal scene is probably like the most sentimental. You're going through this and it seems so idyllic. And then you just get hit with this gut punch of, you know, she just had her fifth miscarriage. Right. And they just, you know, talking about how like all these high school kids all the time are getting pregnant and like now they've just been selfish and, you know, are they being punished? And what I noticed for, I think the first time watching this is um, just staring at like John Krasinski's face. It's almost like Jim from the office, just like having to deal with something heavy and he just doesn't know what to do. He's just like staring straight ahead. Like, Oh fuck. What do I even say to this? Are these people the thing is that these people are great right like no, yeah, absolutely they're awesome kind people they have like you know half a dozen foster kids and they all seem to really love each other and everything like that and i think they would have stayed there if it wasn't for his brother and we'll get into that in a second but do you also think that there's a level of like too much information given that they couldn't like like you were saying like he they just can't handle being around that kind of energy all the time. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think the place is still like, I think it was probably would have been like their place to stay. Right. If they did, she didn't end up. This movie kind of does have like some interesting development, mostly for Maya Rudolph in that she's very like kind of closed off about her parents. She doesn't really want to talk about it with her sister she doesn't want to talk about like their old family home and that sort of like that stance softens through the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and it really comes to a head once they get to Miami. Um, and I think if they did, if they didn't end up deciding to go to her childhood home, you know, that, that Montreal probably would have been the pick. Um, and I mean, you know, how can you blame them? 
Well, so here's so let's let's talk about Montreal just a little bit longer because um, I I just have some things to say. Um, you find out that they have all these foster kids. They've been trying to have a baby of their own for years, unsuccessful. What what's so interesting and and this movie has, I feel like it has an overarching message about parenthood, but it also has these like tiny little like sub themes. And one of them is like, kind of like, I found it so interesting that you have, um, you said this earlier, but you have all these teenagers who are just getting pregnant left and right. And they're either, you know, not wanting the baby um, or getting an abortion or having to deal with the baby or whatever. And then you have this couple that just really, really wants the baby. And it's almost this like this unfair thing in their lives um and then you have Maya Rudolph who's like six months pregnant big belly right there um it just it just sets up like this really interesting thought process on fairness and and life but then how people deal with that you know right and I think the this the part in Montreal they do a great job of sorting getting of getting this across sort of subtly in the beginning because Maya Rudolph is just talking about the baby with um, Munch played by Melanie Linsky, which I think it's funny that her name is just Munch in the movie. Um, and you can see it on Munch's face that she's just like, she's obviously dealing with something because she's like happy for Maya Rudolph, but you can see like something is kind of amiss. Right, and then you get Chris Messina explaining that. Ever since this movie, I've always like loved seeing Chris Messina and stuff because he's so great in this. He just seems like a cool guy to hang out with. <laughs> I mean, he definitely plays the cool guy to hang out with in in this film. I, what else has he been in? He was in Devil. He was in Argo. He was in Julie and Julia. Oh, and he was in Birds of Prey. Yeah, he was. You know, he's kind of one of those like. I don't want to. I don't want to say like chameleon actors, but honestly, he looks totally different from like having facial hair, having shaggy hair, to like having like clean crew cut, clean shaven. Like I can't. I would not like guess that those two people were the same people. Right. Yeah, and like I said, just overall, I really like. I really enjoyed watching him and his wife um, in this movie. Like those two characters are kind of like, I would have chosen Montreal just based off of like the time there. I thought that would have been really cool. Um, But then I I do love the next morning, just uh, John Krasinski just talking to his brother under the bed as as a way to like try not wake her up. But he's like clearly being way too loud. Um. His brother's wife leaves him, right? Correct. Um, I can't remember. Is there another man involved? You don't know why. She just one day just left without just saying left anything. Him. I love the brother who's uh, uh, Paul Schneider, who a lot of people know as Mark Brandanowitz yes. in Parks and Rec. Yes. I love that he's like, it's wrong to say that her mother was murdered, right? <laughs> Trying to like tell him like how to how to help his daughter cope with her mom just like up and leaving. Right. Yeah. It's like, no, you can't. Oh, I was just thinking it would be kind of like, you know, that automatic be some finality in finality that. Finality right? in it, yeah. There's also like I think this this part is pretty touching too, because you know, they go back to the house, Verona's like, you know playing around with the daughter reading her story and like you know kind of helping put her to bed and then you know they're brothers but uh Bert and his brother are kind of looking over pictures talking about stuff and he he's like oh is this her school picture he's like oh she's got some sort of juice on her lip and the brother goes into like you know her her life is now like he didn't say ruined but it's like it's never going to be the same like moms are the ones that notice like stuff on your lips. Like I'm never going to notice that uh, she's going to be the one with the goofy hair and the bad clothes. And I'm never going to be able to fix that. And it's obviously he's like 
in the beginnings of like dealing with what just happened with the mother leaving. So he's like, it's really hit him and he's really scared. But those are things that are like, they're also true a little bit too, right? Like her life is going to be completely different now if that mom decides never to come back, which is what you presume happened. And so like that all, you know, you have two scenes back to back, like the Montreal and the Miami that like really hit you. Well, what I found so interesting and like, here's the like overarching message that I got from it. Let me ask you if you, you kind of got it in the same way that they are like early 30 year olds who aren't married um, and they have a baby on the way and they don't own a house. They don't really have like that great of an income, um, but they're trying and they love each other but they have this like feeling that they're fuck ups, right? Like they even say it in the movie, like we're fuck ups, aren't we? Um, And they have this like over, like this feeling of failure, like that are, that are weighted upon their shoulders. And I think what this journey from city to city, from state to state, from country to country does to them. And this is what I felt like happened throughout the movie is that the first couple between like Lily and Lowell in the beginning, where it's like, okay, we're not as bad as them. And then his, her sister not having like an interesting relationship is like, all right, we're lucky to have each other. And then Maggie Gyllenhaal is like, oh, thank God we're not that, you know, crazy and insane. And then in Montreal, they can't have children. They're like, well, we're lucky we're, we're able to have kids. And then, in, in, um, and then I thought it was kind of sweet that they even like, were like, well, after this one, let's consider adopting, right? Because they were like inspired by their friends from Montreal. And then their, their brother with his, you know, his wife left him. It's like, well, we're lucky, you know, more established. Like we're lucky to have each other. We're lucky we love each other. And at the end of the movie where they kind of decide to, to, move into her old childhood home which has since been abandoned by her you know from her parents death at the end of it in the beginning they think like oh we're failures and fuck-ups and you know we're hopeless but then by the end of it and through their experiences and their journey they have a sense of like value that they think about themselves like you know we're actually not bad we're actually not fuck-ups and we're lucky to have these and these and these things and we're going to be okay you know, and that's, I think, is the, like, really beautiful message about the movie is that it's, like, no matter how bad you think you have it, you have things other people don't have. And for that, you know, you're lucky. Right. It makes them appreciate the things they have. One, that they have each other. Right. And two, that, they're, like, they're, they're both of them are committed, even though they you know, Verona doesn't want to get married, but they are committed to this and they're not going to leave. And they, they sort of gain this like information and knowledge as they go through this movie, right? From even from Lillian Lowell and from her sister and then from Ellen, just like the, the beginning of you know, those people, they learn like what not to be for most of the beginning of the movie besides the sister. And then they also towards the end learn how lucky they are. You know, they learn that things could be worse from the couple in Montreal, but they also learn like, you know, how much love you can have for your family. And and then I think the, the Miami scene, they're really just like, we need, you know, we have each other, neither of us is going to leave. And so like, because of that, we're going to be fine. But I think the Miami part is also one, I think sleeping on a, a trampoline is, is much better sounding in theory than in practice. Like, I don't think that's going to be, especially for a pregnant woman. No. Um, But two, it's like kind of the full development now of Maya Rudolph being like, you know what? I'm finally ready to go back home. She like didn't want to discuss the house with her sister. And then now she's like talking to bird about this kind of sweet story about how they had this tree that would never grow fruit. And then, you know, but we tied all this plastic fruit to trick our dad and it was a great day, da, 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 da. And then, you know, they go home and you see that tree like right away. Mm-hmm. Like the, I think the last, the last scene is cool in that there's like barely any dialogue, but it's like the, the person in charge of finding that location, like did a fucking amazing job. 
yeah, it's like right there on the water and they have a backyard and it's like a pretty big house and all it will need is like, like, all right, major renovation, but it's theirs, you know? Well, it's funny going into this last rewatch, I was a hundred percent sure that that house was like on the Mississippi and uh, mostly because like in the beginning, uh, John Krasinski was like, oh, you know, I really want our child's upbringing to be like Huck Finney. And Maya Rudolph says, well, I had that. Yeah. And then you get to this house that looks like it's straight out of like a Mark Twain novel. Right. And then it's just on this huge, what looks to be river. And I just did assume that there's Mississippi. I don't think there's anything that confirms that in the movie, but it's like just this like old plantation style house that's just like got the two stories. And then you open up the huge front doors and then it goes directly back to the back and you open up these two like French doors that you're just on the water. Like, it was like, that's such a so, beautiful place. Did you get like in Mississippi on the Mississippi or did you get like just on the Mississippi and you stayed alongside Mississippi? Cause I get, I got big Louisiana vibes. That's what I thought. Louisiana. Cause I think someone maybe mentioned Baton Rouge somewhere along the, the lot. That's where they're from. Right. Maybe. Am I, I making this up? Well, maybe you had the same thought I did, and that's why we <laughs> all got to the same place. Um, but overall, I think like the reason I love this movie is it's like a perfect combination of like very funny, but also like very kind of heartfelt, very touching, super like relatable. And I think this like it just takes you on this journey, and it's like before you even know it, we're kind of past the funny parts, but it's just, it's still such an interesting movie that it like carries through. It's also like only an hour and 37 minutes. So like really like a quick watch. Yeah. And and it's a comedy, but it's dramatic. And it, it really works for these actors who, okay, look, I recant my hate for Maya Rudolph. I don't like it, but I have to say it because it's fair. Um, but it's a it's a really good role for all these actors, but especially John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph, because it is funny and they're funny people. You know, they're they're comedic actors. Um, but- yeah, I mean, we we talked a lot about all the side characters, but the the heavy lifting is on those two to like carry this movie if you don't have great people like john krasinski and Maya rudolph then this movie doesn't work and not once did i ever feel like they were trying to be funny or like trying to get a laugh out of the audience from these characters um from john krasinski and, and Maya rudolph's characters but just their like linguistics and their you know things and the way they say them and everything like that just naturally comes out as funny and i think also, what makes it work is that throughout the movie, you're establishing these characters of who they are. So then when they do something funny or they do something, you know, kind of zany, it still fits in this like box about, yeah, that's totally what that character would do. And it never like makes you think twice about it. You know what I mean? No, oh, Absolutely. Um, and I think that's, I think that's why this movie is just, is so great to me. So, so yeah, thanks for watching another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And this is David. And I finally watched Away We Go.